Chapter Twenty Five of Arema. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Dodge. Arema by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter Twenty Five. Betsy's Tale concluded. Well, now continued mrs strauss as soon as i could persuade her to go on if i were to tell you every little thing that went on among them miss i should go on from this to this day week or i might say this day fortnight and then not half be done with it and the worst of it is that those little things make all the odds in a case of that sort showing what the great things were but only a counsellor at the Old Bailey could make head or tail of the goings-on that followed. For some reason of his own, unknown to any living being but himself, whether it were pride, as I always said, or something deeper, as other people thought, he refused to have anyone on earth to help him, when he ought to have had the deepest lawyer to be found. The constable cautioned him to say nothing, as it seems is laid down in their orders, for fear of crimination, and he smiled at this with a high contempt, very fine to see, but not bodily wise, and even in that jack-in office could perceive that the poor captain thought of his sick wife upstairs and his little children, ten times for one thought he ever gave to his own position and yet i must tell you that he would have no denial but to know what it was that killed his parent when old dr diggory's hands were shaking so that his instrument would not bite on the thing lodged in his lordship's back after passing through and through him he was calling for somebody to run for his assistant who do you think did it for him miss arema as sure as i sit here the captain his face was like a rock, and his hands no less. And he said, Allow me, doctor, I have been in action. And he fetched out the bullet, which showed awful nerve, according to my way of thinking, as if he had been a man with three rows of teeth. This bullet is just like those of my own pistol, he cried, and he sat down hard with amazement. You may suppose how this went against him when all he desired was to know and to tell the truth, and people said that of course he got it out after a bottle full of doctors failed, because he knew best how it was put in. I shall now go and see the place, if you please, or whether you please or not, my master said. Constable, you may come and point it out, unless you prefer going to your breakfast. My word is enough that I shall not run away. Otherwise, as you have acted on your own authority, I shall act on mine, and tie you until you have obtained a warrant. Take your choice, my man, and make it quickly while I offer it. The rural Polish man stared at this, being used on the other hand to be made much of. But seeing how capable the captain was of acting up to anything, he made a sulky scrape and said, Sir, as you please. For the present, weighting his voice on those last three words as much as to say, 
pretty soon you will be handcuffed. Then, said my master, I shall also insist on the presence of two persons, simply to use their eyes without any fear or favor. One is my gardener, a very honest man, but apt to be late in the morning. The other is a faithful servant who has been with us for several years. Their names are Jacob Rigg and Betsy Bowen. You may also bring two witnesses if you choose, and the miller's men, of course, will come, but order back all others. That is perfectly fair and straightforward, my lord, the constable answered, falling naturally into abeyance to orders. I am sure that all of us wishes your lordship kindly out of this rum scrape, but my duty is my duty. With a few more words we will all set forth, six in number and no more, for the constable said that the miller's men, who had first found the late Lord Castlewood, were witnesses enough for him, and Jacob Rigg, whose legs were far apart, as he said, from trenching celery, took us through the kitchen garden and out at a gap which saved everybody knowing. Then we passed through a copse or two and across a meadow, and then across the turnpike road, as far as now I can remember, and along that we went to a stile on the right without any house for a long way off, and from that stile a footpath led down a slope of grassland to the little river, and over a land bridge, and up another meadow full of trees and bushes, to a gate which came out into the road again, a little to the side of the Moonstock Inn, saving a quarter of a mile of road, which ran straight up the valley and turned square at the stone bridge to get to the same inn. I cannot expect to be clear to you, miss, though I see it all now as I saw it then, every tree and hump and hedge of it, only about the distances from this to that and that to the other, they would be beyond me. You must be on the place itself, and I could never carry distances, no, nor even clever men, I have heard my master say. But when he came to the stile, he stopped, and turned upon all of us clearly, and as straight as any man of men could be. Here I saw my father last, at a quarter past ten o'clock last night, or within a few minutes of that time. I wished to see him to his end, but he would not let me do so, and he never bore contradiction. He said that he knew the way well having fished more than thirty years ago up and down this stream. He crossed the stile, and we shook hands over it, and the moon being bright, I looked into his face, and he said, My boy, God bless you. Knowing his short ways, I did not even look after him, but turned away, and went straight home along this road. Upon my word as an Englishman, and as an officer of Her Majesty, that is all I know of it. Now let us go on to the, to the other place. We, all of us, knew in our hearts, I am sure, that the captain spoke the simple truth, and his face was grand as he looked at us. But the constable thought it his duty to ask, Did you hear no sound of a shot, my lord? For he fell within a hundred yards of this. I heard no sound of any shot whatever. I heard an owl hooting as I went home, and then the rattle of a heavy wagon, and the bells of horses. I have said enough. Let us go forward. 
We obeyed him at once. Even the constable looked right and left, as if he had been wrong. He signed to the miller's man to lead the way, and my lord walked proudly after him. The path was only a little narrow track, with the grass like a front of hair falling over it on the upper side and on the under, dropping away like side curls. Such a little path that I was wondering how great a lord could walk over it. Then we came down a steep place to a narrow bridge over a shallow river, a bridge made of only two planks and a rail, with a proper two to carry them, and one end of the handrail was fastened into a hollow and stubby old hawthorn tree, overhanging the bridge and the water a good way. And just above this tree and under its shadow, there came a dry cut into the little river, not more than a yard or two above the wooden bridge, a water trough, such as we have in Wales, miss, for the water to run in when the farmer pleases. But now there was no water in it, only gravel. The cleverest of the miller's men, though neither of them had much intellect, stepped down at a beck from the constable right beneath the old ancient tree and showed us the marks on the grass and the gravel made by his lordship where he fell and lay and it seems he must have fallen off the bridge yet not into the water but so as to have room for his body if you see miss partly on the bank and partly in the hollow of the meadow trough have you searched the place well the captain asked have you found any weapon or implement "'We have found nothing but the corpse so far,' the constable answered in a surly voice, not liking to be taught his business. "'My first duty was to save a life, if I could. "'These men, upon finding the body, ran for me, "'and knowing who it was, I came with it to your house. "'You acted for the best, my man. "'Now search the place carefully while I stand here. "'I am on my parole. I shall not run away. "'Jacob, go down and help them.' whether from being in the army or what your father always spoke in such a way that the most stiff-neckedest people began without thinking to obey him so the constable and the rest went down while the captain and i stood upon the plank looking at the four of them for a long time they looked about according to their attitudes without finding anything more than the signs of the manner in which the poor lord fell and of these the constable pulled out a book and made a pencil memorial but presently jacob a spry sort of a man cried halloa whatever have i got hold of here many a good crawfish have i pulled from this bank when the water comes down the gully but never one exactly like this here afore name of the lord cried the constable jumping behind the hawthorn stump don't point it at me you looby it's loaded "'Loaded one barrel, don't you see? "'Put it down with the muzzle away from me.' "'Hand it to me, Jacob,' the captain said. "'You understand a gun, and this goes off just the same. "'Constable Jobbins, have no fear. "'Yes, this is exactly as I thought. "'This pistol is one of the double-barreled pair "'which I bought to take to India. "'The barrels are rifled. "'It shoots as true as any rifle, "'and almost as hard, up to fifty yards.' The right barrel has been fired. The other is still loaded. The bullet I took from my father's body most certainly came from this pistol. "'Can he say, can he say, then, who done it, master?' asked Jacob, a man very sparing of speech, but ready at a beck to jump at constable and the miller's men, 
if only the law was with him. Can he give a clear account, and let me chuck him in the river? No, Jacob, I can do nothing of the kind, your father answered, while the rural man came up and faced things, not being afraid of a fight half so much as he was of an accident, by reason of his own mother having been blown up by a gunpowder start at Dartford, yet came down all right, miss, and had him three months afterward, according to his own confession. Nevertheless, he came up now, as if he had always been upright in the world, and he said, My lord, can you explain all this? Your father looked at him with one of his strange gazes, as if he were measuring the man while trying his own inward doing of his own mind. Proud as your father was, as proud as ever can be without cruelty, is his my firm belief, Miss Arema going on a woman's judgment that if the man's eyes had come up to my master's sense of what was virtuous, my master would have up and told him the depth and contents of his mind and heart, although totally gone beyond him. But Jobbins looked back at my lord with a grin, and his little eyes hard to put up with. Have you nothing to say, my lord? Then I am afeard I must ask you just to come along of me. And my master went with him, miss, as quiet as a lamb, which Jobin said, and even Jacob fancied, was a conscious sign of guilt. Now, after I have told you all this, Miss Arema, you know very nearly as much as I do, to tell how the grief was broken to your mother, and what her state of mind was, and how she sat up on the pillows and cried, while things went on from bad to worse, and a verdict of willful murder was brought against your father by the crowner's men, and you came headlong, without so much as the birds in the ivy to chirp about you, right into the thick of the worst of it. I do assure you, Miss Arema, when I look at your bright eyes and clear figure, the Lord in heaven, who has made many cripples, must have looked down special to have brought you as you are. For trouble upon trouble fell in heaps faster than I can wipe my eyes to think. To begin with, all the servants but myself and gardener Jacob ran away. They said the old Lord haunted the house and walked with his hand in the middle of his heart, pulling out a bullet if he met anybody, sighing, Murder! three times till every hair was crawling. I took it on myself to fetch the vicar of the parish to lay the evil spirit as they do in Wales. A nice kind gentleman he was, as you could see, and wore a velvet skull cap, and waited with his legs up. But whether he felt that the power was not in him, or whether his old lordship was frightened of the church, they never made any opportunity between them to meet and have it out, miss. Then it seemed as heaven to avenge his lordship, rain down pestilence upon that house. A horrible disease, the worst I ever met, broke out upon the little harmless dears. The pride of my heart and of everybody's eyes, for lovelier or better ones never came from heaven. They was all gone to heaven in a fortnight and three days, and laid in a churchyard at one another's side, with little beds of mold to the measure of their stature, and their little carts and drums, 
as he made me promise ready for the judgment day. Oh, my heart was broken, miss, my heart was broken. I cried so. I thought I never could cry more. But when your dear mother, who knew nothing of all this, for we put all their illness by the doctor's orders away at the further end of the house, when she was a little better of grievous pain and misery, for being so upset, her time was hard. When she sat up on the pillow, looking like a bride almost, except she had what brides hasn't, a little red thing in a white flannel at her side, then she says to me, I am ready, Betsy. It is high time for all of them to see their little sister. They always love the baby so whenever there is a new one. And they are such men and women to it. They have been so good this time that I have never heard them once. And I am sure that I can trust them, Betsy, not to make the baby cry. I do long to see the darlings. Now do not even whisper to them not to make a noise. They are too good to require it, and it would hurt their little feelings. I had better have been shot, my dear, according as the old Lord was, than have the pain that went through all of my heart to see the mother so. She sat up, leaning on one arm, with the hand of the other round your little head, and her beautiful hair was come out of its loops, and the color in her cheeks was like a shell. Past the fringe of the curtain, and behind it, too, her soft, bright eyes were a-looking here and there for the first to come in of her children. The Lord only knows what lies I told her, so as to be satisfied without them. First, I said they were all gone for a walk, and then that the doctor had ordered them away, and then that they had got the measles. That last she believed because it was worse than what I had said before of them, and she begged to see Dr. Diggory about it, and I promised that she should as soon as he had done his dinner. And then, with a little sigh, being very weak, she went down into her nest again, with only you to keep her company. Well, that was bad enough, as any mortal sufferer might have said, enough for one day at any rate but there was almost worse to come. For when I was having a little sit downstairs with my supper and half-pint of ale, that comes like drawing a long breath to us when spared out of sick-rooms, miss, and having no nursery now on my mind, was thinking of all the sad business, with only a little girl in the back kitchen to come in and muck up the dishes. There appeared a good knock at the garden door, and I knew it for the thumb of the captain. I locked the young girl up by knowing what their tongues are, and then I let your father in, and the candlelight of him made my heart go low. He had come out of prison, and although not being tried, his clothes were still in decency. They had great holes in them, and the gloss all gone to a smell of mere hedges and ditches. The hat on his head was quite out of the fashion even if it could be called a hat at all, and his beautiful beard had no sign of a comb, and he looked as old again as he had looked a month ago. I know all about it. You need not be afraid, he said as I took him to the breakfast room, where no one upstairs could hear us. 
I know that my children are all dead and buried, except the one that was not born yet. Ill news flies quick. I know all about it. George, Henrietta, Jack, Alf, little Vi, and Teeny. I have seen their graves and counted them, while the fool of a policeman beat his gloves through the hedge within a rod of me. Oh, yes, I have much to be thankful for. My life is in my own hand now. Oh, master, oh, captain, oh, my lord, I cried, for the sake of God in heaven, don't talk like that. Think of your sweet wife, your dear lady. Betsy, he answered, with his eyes full upon me, noble yet frightful to look at. I am come to see my wife. Go and let her know it, according to your own discretion. My discretion would have been not to let him see her, but to go on and write to her from foreign countries with the salt sea between them. But I give you my word that I had no discretion, but from pity and majesty obeyed him. I knew that he must have broken prison, and by good rights ought to be starving. But I could no more offer him the cold ham and pullet than take him by his beard and shake him. "'Is he come? At last, at last!' my poor mistress said, whose wits were wandering after her children. "'At last, at last, then he will find them all.' "'Yes, ma'am, at last, at the last he will,' I answered, while I thought of the burial service, which I had heard three times in a week, for the little ones went to their graves in pairs to save ceremony, likewise of the epistle of St. Paul.' which is not like our Lord's way of talking at all, but arguing instead of comforting. And not to catch her up in that weak state, I said, he will find every one of them, ma'am. Oh, but I want him for himself, for himself, as much as all the rest put together, my dear lady said, without listening to me, but putting her hand to her ear to hearken for even so much as a mouse on the stairs. Do bring him, Betsy, do bring him, Betsy, and then let me go where my children are. I was surprised at her manner of speaking, which I would not have allowed to her, but more than all about her children, which she could only have been dreaming yet, for nobody else came nigh her except only me, miss, and you, miss, and for you to breathe words was impossible. All you did was to lie very quiet, tucked up into your mother's side. And as regular as the timepiece went, wide came your eyes and your mouth to be fed. If your nature had been cross or squally, baby's coffin number seven would have come after all the other six, which the thief of a carpenter put down on his bill as if it were so many shavings. Well, now, to tell you the downright truth, I have a lot of work to do tomorrow, miss, with three basketfuls of washing coming home, and a man about a tap that leaks and floods inside of the fender. And if I were to try to put before you the way that those two were for the last time of their lives, went on to one another, the one like a man and the other like a woman, full of sobs and choking, my eyes would be in such a state tomorrow that the whole of them would pity and cheat me. And I ought to think of you as well, miss, who has been sadly harrowed listening to when you was not born yet, 
and to hear what went on full of weeping when you yourself was in the world and able to cry for yourself and all done over your own little self would leave you red eyes and no spirit for the night and no appetite in the morning and so i will pass it all over if you please and let him go out the back door again this he was obliged to do quick and no mistake glad as he might have been to say more words because the fellows who call themselves officers without any commission were after him false it was to say as was said that he got out of winchester jail through money that story was quite a piece with the rest his own strength and skill it was that brought him out triumphantly as the scratches on his hands and cheeks might show he did it for the sake of his wife no doubt when he heard that the children were all in the graves and their mother was in the way to follow them madness was better than his state of mind as the officers told me when they could not catch him and sorry they would have been to do it i believe to overhear my betters is the thing of all things most against my nature and my poor lady being unfit to get up there was nothing said on the landing which is the weakest part of gentlefolk they must have said good-bye to one another quite in silence and the captain as firm a man as ever lived had lines on his face that were waiting for tears if nature should overcome bringing up then i heard the words for my sake and the other said for your sake and a pledge that passed between them making breath more long than life is but when your poor father was by the back door going out towards the woods and coppices he turned sharp round and he said betsy bowen and i answered yes at your service sir you have been the best woman in the world he said the bravest best and kindness I leave my wife and my last child to you. The Lord has been hard on me, but he will spare those too. I do hope and believe he will. We heard a noise of horses in the valley and the clank of swords. No doubt the mounted police from Winchester are crossing the Moonstock Bridge to search our home for the runaway. And the captain took my hand and said, I trust them to you hide the clothes i took off that they might not know that i have been here i trust my wife and little babe to you and may god bless you betsy he had changed all his clothes and he looked very nice but a sadder face was never seen as he slipped through the hollyhocks i said to myself there goes a broken-hearted man and he leaves a broken heart behind and your dear mother died on the saturday night oh my oh my how sad it was end of chapter 25